and welcome to our backstory conversation with our featured storyteller, Martha Reed Johnson. Martha, thank you so much for your stories. As Pat says, we're all overclamped. And thank you for joining this conversation. You shared that this is your first return to storytelling since the pausing for the pandemic. Yeah. And we're glad you picked us to uh, get back in gear with. So perhaps we can begin there. Besides pausing for stories, pausing your storytelling, what are some of the other ways that the pandemic has influenced you as a teller? Has it generated new stories or new insights to storytelling? Um, yeah, I have been, um, I moved back to Massachusetts five years ago, um, to keep my mother in the family home. And, um, so then we entered a pandemic where we were pretty much home mom and I, and, um, so it's given me a lot of time with my mother to, um, hear some of her stories and some of her life stories. And that has been um, amazing. And I feel like it's, it's also become kind of a little bit of a responsibility of gathering the stories to tell my siblings that don't even know some of mom's early childhood stories and, and her life growing up in the, you know, thirties, forties, you know, fifties and, and what her life was like, you know, hearing her perspective of our family adventure stories has also been fascinating so that's where I kind of got interested in just how do you mine family stories how do you turn um a conversation away from the daily ugh, of this ailment or that ailment or this you know thing that's happening to finding what have been the precious moments in people's lives you know so asking my mother you know what do you remember most about this or what was your favorite childhood memory or pulling out old pictures with her and then she'll tell the story of the people in those photographs. And um, it gets her retelling her story and thinking about, you know, some very happy memories. And um, sometimes that's a nice place where my mother's really feeling discouraged. Being 89 is hard. Um, sometimes it's nice to take her back to her childhood and, and then to be gathering those stories is nice. Somewhat like our own Amy Antonucci, you do feature dad stories, clearly. Um, which leads me to uh, think that maybe we need to have a theme called dad stories, but I digress. <laughs> you have, you did note to me that um, your siblings tell stories from slightly different, slightly shifted perspectives. Well, it's- And it's, uh, so, and that makes for a kind of different lens. So tell us a little bit about that and how that influences your storytelling. Well, Are your siblings also storytellers? No, I mean, other than just around the family right. gatherings, you know, but um, this really came to light to me um, many years ago on a Christmas gathering. And my sister was wearing, you know, a beautiful dress, but it was kind of like knee, knee length. And um, so her legs were showing and she sports a pretty significant scar from that, you know, incident in Nova Scotia. Right. And um, so we were all sitting around the living room and my sister was just swinging her leg and sporting her scar. She didn't think about it anymore at all. And my brother, Chris said, oh my God, Beth, I feel so bad that I did that to you. And we all just stopped. We went, what? And everyone said, Chris, you didn't do it. Eric said, I did it. And we all said, yeah, Eric did it. You didn't do it, Eric did it. 
But for apparently 30 years, my brother Chris thought that he was the one who had really? let go of the chisel and splayed her leg. And he was blown away that his memory was so far off. And, you know, I kind of, you know, I've studied trauma a lot and, and it kind of, I started thinking, wait a minute, this was a traumatic experience for our family. So we all did, you know, experience it in a different way. And I think my brother, Chris felt a big responsibility that he was given the task of running through the woods to get to the car, which was crucial to getting my sister help in time. And he had to get that car, you know, around to the other side mm -hmm. of the lake so that we could, you know, my parents could get her to the hospital. And I think that that just experience weighed heavy. My mother then realized, she said, oh, that was a lot, you know. Um, and, and just, you know, the way we all began to kind of re-experience that story was very interesting. And my sister was like, I don't really remember any of it. <laughs> <You know? laughs> But the rest of us had very vivid memories wow. of it. You know, so, yeah. And like our own uh, Tom Osberg, you are an outdoor adventure storyteller. You bring that appreciation for the outdoors. I mm -hmm. uh, wonder if we might talk about that as that's sort of the subtext of your stories for this evening, about how do you turn outdoor activities into stories do you sense in advance that a particular outdoor activity is going to turn into a story or do they evolve? Um, not really, but with outdoor adventures, there's also, there's often mishaps or something goes wrong. And the best stories are all about trouble and things that go wrong. Right. When things go smoothly, there's no story really. Right. <laughs> you know? Exactly right. Yeah. Um, so I think that's why um, outdoor adventure fosters great stories because there's always something that goes wrong. And, um, and then being able to, you know, find the humor in it, find the lesson in it, find the common experience, you know, in it, because I think stories to be truly meaningful to the listener have to resonate in some way with their life, you know, and, um, and I know, you know, in sharing some of my stories in my childhood, I thought my family was normal. I thought like <laughs> everybody did these like summer adventures until I started as a grown up telling stories and people would look at me like, what you did and I was like you mean you guys didn't do that <laughs> and so it was you know I was had a little different experience but I also realized that there was common family experiences even that thread through the crazy of my family you know that other families could relate to someone coined the phrase sandwich generation for adults caring for a parent while being helpful to an adult child. And as Pat mentioned, and you did too, you live in a four generation household. So I think we should call you part of the super sandwich generation. And it reminds me of that old TV series, The Waltons, which certainly <laughs> celebrated storytelling. So share with us a little bit about your uh, adventures and misadventures that are a function of this four generation household. Well, it's an interesting place to be sometimes. Um, thankfully, Disney for sure. Yes, thankfully Disney. we're in the house that um, I grew up in. That you know, my parents raised you know five kids and also had grandparents living with us when I was a kid. So there's we have room to kind of spread out, so we're not like on top of each other, which is pretty nice. But um, it's cr created like you know, my granddaughter is one years old, right? And um, 
it has been such a blessing to have her in the house because she brings such joy to my mother. And, you know, getting old is hard. And my mother is, you know, seeing friends that are, you know, she doesn't see friends anymore. She talks to people on the phone, but she has trouble getting out. People had trouble getting to her in the whole pandemic. So she's been pretty isolated. And, um, and I was really worried a year ago that she was getting really kind of isolated and depressed. But then Isabel came into the picture and has just brought joy and laughter and something that my mother gets so excited about seeing her. And, um, and then it's just amazing to watch your son be a dad. Whoa. <laughs> and my son, Joel, who's the dad, was of my two boys was my challenge kid oh he was a wild child and to watch him be a really good dad um to be playful he reminds me of my dad you know in the playful way that he is with his daughter and um so i know that in the years to come there will be stories to tell about those two the joel and izzy stories that they're coming for sure one other thing i wanted to chat with you about uh you're a counselor for elementary and middle school kids. And as a retired minister, I appreciate the role that stories have played in my own work as in pastoral counseling. And I wonder, do you use storytelling in your counseling work? I, I do. Um, and I always end up feeling like I've not done it enough. And so it's always like, as I look into the year coming up that I want to do more, and I want to get kids telling stories. You're here. They have amazing stories to tell, and it's such a great experience for them. And it's public speaking. It's you know, in learning how to tell a story, they're actually learning all about story structure and how stories work, which makes them better readers. And empowering. Yeah. It's very empowering. And sometimes the kids who are not the great readers are best storytellers. You know, they they can really grasp the what is makes a good story. And as soon as they can understand that and tell stories then they can get a little bit more buy-in to what's on the page too. So as we begin to come to an end, um, how do you go about crafting a story? Is it, do you have one particular approach? Do you write it out? Do you tell it to a mic into a microphone and record it? Which I, approach for it does vary? I very rarely will write a story down that it's going to be an oral telling. I, I usually draw them or I kind of story map them in segments. And um, for me, writing is a very different um, process. And um, the year before my dad died, I, I created a blog because I wanted he wanted me to write some stories. So I every week for a year, I wrote a story and, and had it up on this blog for my dad, really, because I was living in South Carolina and he could read them. But I found that to be so different to write a story versus to tell a story. So there's, you know, 60 plus stories I wrote for that blog for my dad that I had really yet to tell because somehow they changed on the page. But when I'm doing a story for um, performance or for telling, um, I often start with a picture, like, oh, that family picture, because I have so many of my dad's pictures. And I then um, piece together memories of it. And I check in with my siblings. Do you remember what was this part? You know, um, And then I draw it, map it, um, and then tell it over and over again until I kind of weed out what's got to go, what's, what can keep. And um, so it's a lot of just retelling. And sometimes I have stories that I tell in different ways in the different settings or a different time. Or, so I have stories that sometimes blend together differently. This piece goes with that piece. And sometimes they're, they're like puzzles that fit together differently in different times. <coughs> Text and context. 
Mm -hmm. So my last question is always the same question for new or almost new storytellers. What briefly uh, tips would you share? Listen to stories, find out, you know, like, listen, listen, listen to lots of stories. Um, and then start telling your own just at family gatherings, get your family telling stories so you can hear their perspectives on the same things that you experienced, you know, mm -hmm. and it's a fun way to change the dialogue at the table, you know, um, and suggest in that casual conversations, find the stories and listen. And then go to things like True Tales Live and other kind of storytelling events to hear lots of tellers, because we all, everybody has different styles and different ways that they tell stories. Um, and, and telling personal narrative stories is one version of storytelling. Then there's people that tell traditional tales and those are wonderful to hear too. So just listen to lots of different storytellers, story types, and you'll, you'll find your, your own little voice or big voice, whatever. <clears throat> well, thank you so much. Friends, this brings us to the end of our conversation with Martha Reed Johnson. Martha, again, thank you so much for plunging back into storytelling <laughs> as our featured teller. Very nice. And thanks for our backstory conversation. And friends, this brings us to the end of our program. Thanks again to our True Tales Live crew. And a reminder, as Amy explained, we are off for July and August. And our next show is September 27th at the usual time. It's an open theme, be sure to log in. Our workshops do continue on Zoom through the summer. Our next one is next Tuesday, July 5th from 7 to 8.30. Perhaps your July 4th will generate a story in a good way. And if you're thinking about trying a story, whether generated from the 4th or any other way, our workshop is a great place to try out storytelling. Sign up on our website. Learn more about our program at truetaleslivenh.org. And while you're there, sign up for your, our newsletter edited by yours truly. And if you are already a subscriber, share the times with your friends who also might enjoy storytelling. Nigerian poet and novelist Ben Okri writes, a people are as healthy and confident as the stories they tell themselves. Sick storytellers can make nations sick. Without stories, we would go mad. Life would lose its moorings or orientation. Stories can conquer fear, you know. They can make the heart larger. That's our program for tonight. Thanks to our tellers and our crew and you. My name is David Frainer. Good night.